Good morning. Wonderful. Um, so it's an honor to share God's word with us this morning. Um, today, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 19, showing us how God has revealed himself to us um, so we can know him. And so um, knowing God is the most important thing we could ever desire, um, more than anything we could ever imagine. And so um, what I hope to get across this morning, that indeed God has shown himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in his word. Um, and so before we dive into Psalm 19, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. Um, we praise you even for this time as we've gathered together as a body to fellowship with you and to fellowship with one another. Um, we bless you for your goodness, O oh God, seeing the love you've bestowed upon us that we should be called your children. Um, I pray, God, today that you would speak through me and that your word, O oh God, will fall in good soil. And so today I pray, God, that may you be exalted, may you be glorified in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and so Psalm 19, I'll be reading from the ESV, um, going from verses 1 through to 11. And so you can follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, you can um, go along. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servants warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Amen. And so this psalm, written by David, um, King David, is very poetic in nature, and it basically shows us how God has revealed himself to us um, through nature and through his word. And so it kind of, um, from verses 1 to 11, it kind of sections off into two areas. One is how God has revealed himself to us through his word, and the other is um, through nature. And so we're, we're just going to go through section by section and then continue. And so the first six verses, um, if you can go back to it, please, um, we see um, that the six verses reveal how God has shown himself to us through nature. So seeing the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so the glory of God, that is the sum of his perfections, is clearly made manifest in the work of his hands. And so when we look around, say, um, we see the mountains or even the oceans, they all speak to the wonder of the God who brought them into existence. Um, and so moving on to verse 2, we would see that um, the evidence of God's glory is made manifest in all of creation. It's, it's abundant, that we can tell it. And to say, if you look at um, the beautiful Rocky Mountains in Colorado, or maybe the mighty waves of the Atlantic Ocean, and may I say, um, the great Ohio River, 
Um, they, <laughs> they, they, they all point to a God who brought them into being. And so when we look at nature, um, we don't really worship nature, but we worship the God who gave us nature. And so this is evident all around us. Um, the language we see used in verses 3 to 4a, um, saying, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And so this is um, a poetic way of saying nonverbal speech or nonverbal communication. And so the mountains by themselves do not speak. But then when we see their expression, they're pointing to someone else, the God who brought them into being, like I've said before. And so think of this, um, even we as humans, we can get a point across without necessarily using words, like body language. And so we know there is much that can be said by just making eye contact with someone else. So like in the same vein, um, the mountains also echo the praises of our God. Uh, moving on to the second part of verse four um, and down into verse six, um, the psalmist uses the sun, which would be the most glorious heavenly body, to make a perfect illustration of how um, creation announces God's greatness. And so he says, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so like with great excitement, the bridegroom leaves his house. Um, I'm sure some of the married people in here can attest to that. Like you leave your house with excitement on your wedding day, um, or even a strong man running his course. And so in the same vein, um, the psalmist is trying to paint a picture here showing the radiance or splendor of the sun. Um, so think of the bridegroom, or maybe um, the strong man running his race, so showing the power of the sun. And so we can all feel the scorching heat of the sun, but the goal here is the sun is announcing the presence of God, the, the glory of God. Um, just a point of clarification. So when, I, when the psalmist uses the language, um, the sun rises from one end of the heavens to the other end of the heavens. He's not trying to make a scientific statement. It's just the use of poetic imagery. And so we know today that in our solar system, the planets revolve around the sun, not the other way around. And so the Bible did not make a mistake by saying the sun rises from one end to the other. It's just using poetic imagery to make this illustration. All right, and so basically we're done with the first six verses here. And so moving on to seven to 11, this is where we see a shift. Um, so these sections about creation revealing God's glory sets up perfectly for the next one. And so far beyond um, seeing the wonder of creation, um, we see an even deeper revelation of who God is in his word because this is where he speaks to us personally. Um, and so um, what we saw in verses 1 to 6 would be what is termed as general revelation. Um, you may ask, what is general revelation? So it's basically God's revelation to all people at all times. And so it comes in two forms. One would be um, seeing the external creation, like we talked about, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then the other would be in our own human experience, the internal human experience. Um, so like Paul writes in Romans 1, 19 to 20, um, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And so from general revelation, 
everyone has some knowledge about God's existence, about his character, and even about his moral requirement. And so knowing this to some degree um, brings us all like some level of condemnation that we all have a sense of guilt because instinctively we know that we do not measure up to God's moral requirement. That being said, um, moral, um, that being said, general revelation does not provide us with the knowledge to the only true solution to our guilt before God. Um, and the solution is salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. And so if, moral revel- if, if general revelation does not do this, um, then what does? Um, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, special revelation does. Um, you ask good questions. Keep on doing it. And so um, special revelation does. And special revelation is God's written revelation to us, showing us who he is and what he's done in redemptive history. So like we see in the Bible. And so we need his special revelation to know him because his word is what points us to him. Um, and so we can have intimacy with God through his word. And so this would be the focus um, for this sermon going forward, um, seeing God's special revelation to us. Um, so we're going to read verses 7 to 11 once more. And this time I would like us to do it together. Sounds good? Good. Okay. Ready? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servants warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Good job, guys. <laughs> so um, upon close observation, you may realize some key differences between the two sections, verses 1 to 6 and 7 to 11. And so like I mentioned, verses 1 to 6 showing us general revelation, and here is special revelation. But one more thing is, we realize the name of God was mentioned just one in the first six verses, that the heavens declare the glory of God. That was it. And then from 7 to 11, we see the Lord, the Lord, six times. And so the key thing here is um, the name of God used in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, is El in the Hebrew, E-L. Um, and that is a more generic name for God or a general name for God, um, showing him to be the transcendent creator. And then the name used for God, the Lord, in verses 7 to 11, is from the um, divine name Yahweh in the Hebrew. And that shows us a more personal and relational nature um, that God shows to his people. Um, This would be similar to the example we see in Genesis 1 and 2. So in Genesis 1, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we see God, God, God. And God said, let it be like all the way through chapter 1. And then we move over to Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the same God, God, a more generic name for God. We switch over to chapter 2, verse 4, and uh, we see a new name used, um, which is the Lord God, also showing um, the divine name, Yahweh. And so this is the similar thing the psalmist is doing, just as what Moses did in Genesis. And I bring this up because far more than creation reveals God's glory, or far more than we see the majesty of God in creation, we see an even deeper revelation of who God is in his word. 
And so, yes, we see God is great in his creation, but then in his word is where he speaks to us in a personal and unique way. And so um, we see in verse 7, um, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so when David says the law, he is referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Um, but in this case, saying the law of the Lord is perfect actually refers to all of God's word, all of scripture. And so all of scripture is perfect. God's word is inerrant, meaning it is entirely truthful and reliable. It is without flaw and lacks nothing. Um, we can trust God's word with all of our heart because it was true yesterday, it is true today, and will remain true tomorrow. And so this is a word that never changes because the God of the word never changes. And so we see the law of God um, revives the soul. Or maybe some of your versions, if you're following along, could say um, um, converting the soul or refreshing the soul. Um, they're all pointing to the same thing, that God's word is what leads us to salvation. Um, in God's word is where we find life because it indeed points us to the one who gives us life, God himself. And so we turn from our sins and turn to God. Um, you know, our souls actually long for God, whether we may agree or not, but um, God is the only one who can satisfy the deep longings of our heart. And so we are restless until we find our rest in God. And I like it how in Hebrews 4 it says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, because in God is where we find our rest. Um, and the word of God shows us this. Um, the next five words in this section um, that also describes the law would be testimony, or maybe some of your versions may say statute. Um, we see precept, commandment, fear, and rules. And they're all synonymous to the word um, law, in a sense. And they're all described with strong adjectives, like sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Um, and so looking at the second part of verse 7, um, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so we see, well, the sure testimony of the Lord is faithful. Um, the simple here is an interesting word, because um, when we go over to the book of Proverbs, um, you would realize that several character types are used in the book. And so some of the more common ones would be the wise, the fool, and the simple. Um, the simple here is someone who is not firmly committed to um, wisdom or folly. He's just basically simple. Um, but then the issue with the simple is he's easily misled. Um, but what we see here in Psalm 19 verse 7 is that the sheer testimony of the Lord is faithful and will never mislead us. And so I pray that um, we will be a people who come to the scriptures in humility, seeking God's wisdom. Um, moving on to verse 8, um, saying the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. Um, and so using the word right here means straight or morally right. Think of um, a straight edge. And so what do you do with a straight edge besides ruling lines? <laughs> you measure um, things by a straight edge. Um, it's sort of like your standard of measurement. And so Tim Keller explains that um, you never determine whether scripture is true or right by using some other standard. But scripture is the standard by which all things are measured. And so um, culture or philosophy or maybe um, the opinions of people do not determine how truthful God's word is. God's word is always truthful and everything else is viewed from that lens, that his word is perfect. And so we submit to it. And the saying, his word rejoices our heart, um, seen here that his word brings joy to our heart. Um, I hope you see this. Um, even in my own life, there are times when 
maybe you read scripture or I hear someone read scripture, a passage of scripture, and you go like, yeah, that's so good. Um, you can relate to it because maybe it speaks to you in a season or God's word is that good. It's always good. And so it rejoices our heart. Um, there are also times when maybe we come to scripture in difficult seasons and we find hope and comfort in the scriptures. Um, even right here in Psalms, um, Psalm 42, verse 5, I'm reminded when the psalmist says, um, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of his countenance. So we hope in God and we praise him for the help of his countenance, even in difficult seasons. Um, God's word is where we find hope. And not even in the prison situation or not even in someone else, but our hope is in God because he is the God who is sovereign and we can trust in his faithfulness. So the second part of verse 8 um, showing us the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so his commandment is without blemish, and it makes us alert. Um, his commandment opens our eyes to see um, the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And so um, there is a standard for what is right and wrong, and we can see that um, through the lens of God's word. Verse 9 shows us, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So the fear of the Lord often means reverence to God, um, showing God reverence, showing God honor. But in this context, it's showing us that the word of God is the right way by which we can truly honor him. Or in other words, um, having a right understanding of who God is as revealed in his word is how we can truly um, honor him, is how we can truly revere him. And so we see this here, um, and this um, fear is clean, it endures forever. The second part of verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, meaning we have a reliable record of God's will. Um, we can know his will because we've seen it in his um, word that he's given us. And all his rules are righteous, no exception. And so, um, so far we've seen like from verses 7 to 9, basically talking about the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, everything like of the Lord, of the Lord, basically talking about the word of God to us. And so all this is pointing to one thing, and that is knowing God. And our response should be one of obedience to him and complete trust in who he is, as he says in his word. Moving on to um, the latter part of the section, verse 10 to 11. Moreover, more to be desired, so, uh, so verse 10 to 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so you would realize that the primary attitude of David here in describing God's word is one of great delight. Like he rejoices at God's word because um, he treats God's word as treasure because it is indeed great treasure. Like you rejoice as if you found something worth more than anything you could think of. And he treats this with a saying, more to be desired are they than gold. And so at this moment, I just want to pause and maybe relate to maybe some questions or concerns you may have. Um, someone might come up to me and say, yeah, Benjamin, I hear what you're saying, that um, God's word, um, we have to desire that more than gold, even unseen in David's life. Or my primary attitude should be one of um, great delight. But honestly, um, you may say, mine is not of great delight. Um, in fact, my attitude towards God, um, God's word is a bit on and off. And if I'm going to be honest, um, it feels dry to me, or maybe reading God's word is boring, to be honest. 
And I hear those concerns because, um, and I acknowledge those because those are valid, and I've been there before. Um, to be honest, there have been times when my attitude towards God's word have been more of an obligation, that I feel like reading God's word is an obligation, more so than a delight, let alone a great delight. And so what I hope to get across this morning as we're walking through Psalm 19 is not just to read these verses, but to see that, yes, indeed, the God who created the mountains, he said, let there be light, and light came forth. The God who commands and things comes forth, this sovereign God of creation has chosen to make himself known to you and I. And so we can have communion with him. And so when it comes to the word of God, um, I hope you see that this is not just like a box checking exercise. We read it and we're done. But this is where we can know God because he's chosen to reveal himself to us. And so if your attitude is one of an obligation or where you dredge to read it, um, as mine was in the past, um, I hope you see this and I strongly urge you that pray that God stirs in you a deep hunger for his word. Pray that God stirs in you a deep desire for his word and read his word. So don't just pray and sit back, but pray and read his word because we hunger for what we feed on. And so as you pray that God stirs in you this desire for his word, feed on the word. Feed on the word, and may God cause you, um, cause that passion for his word to grow all the more. Um, because this is where we know who he is, and this is where we walk even in a deeper relationship with him. And for those of you who maybe your desire would be, maybe your attitude here would be one of great delight, um, I urge you to, yeah, keep at it. Keep at it, because, and, and may God even cause you to have a greater delight for his word. Um, and I've seen this play out in my own life. I have a quote by Brother Lawrence, who writes in his book, the practice of the presence of God. And he says, and he says, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress and in times of great joy. And with me, I'd say this is what intimacy with God is all about, that um, love and knowledge in many ways go together. Like the more you know God for who he is, um, in light of scripture, we see that we were by nature children of wrath, that we had nothing good in ourselves to give God. Basically, we were dead in our trespasses, yet but God, in the riches of his love and his grace, he made us alive together with Christ. Like we have a lot to be thankful for. We see that God's steadfast love endures forever. This is a God who is faithful, and so sometimes maybe things may change, Relationships may change, um, your job security may change, life changes, but this God never changes. And so we know that we can trust in him. And so seeing here, as we see who God is in scripture, our love for him grows all the more. And so in many ways, love for God and knowledge of God go together. Because as we know him more, our love for him grows. And this love causes us to even know him more. And so it kind of builds up of each other. And the knowledge I'm talking about here is not knowledge that puffs up, but it's knowledge of God that draws us into a deeper love for this God who we see in scripture. And so as you're reading scripture, you're seeing who God is, your love for him is growing, and then your desire for, to know him even grows all the more. And that is what Brother Lawrence is saying here. And so moving on, David also talks about this, that saying, um, more to be desired are day than gold, even much fine gold, as we said earlier on. Um, gold has great value, um, but I want, um, what he's saying here is the word of God um, has even greater, greater value than gold 
His word is eternally invaluable. And so gold or riches or anything you can think of that is more pleasurable or that is even pleasurable by any degree, um, those will eventually fade away. They do not stand in comparison to God's word because God's word is eternal. And God's word is from God himself. And so this is the good God who gives good gift. And so all these other things will eventually dwindle um, when time comes, um, that they will eventually fade away. But God's word never fades away. Um, also saying that um, sweeter also than honey. And so he's using an illustration where um, honey is very sweet. Or think of anything um, that is sweet to you. It could be caramel or coffee, whatever. Yeah, whatever you just thought of. God's word is sweeter than that. <laughs> and so he uses this illustration to show that God's word is more to be desired. You desire after something that is valuable. You desire after something that is sweet. And he shows you that this is what God's word is showing us, that we can, we can know him and that is even sweeter or that is more to be desired than anything else. And so the proper outcome is one of assurance and character growth. It says, um, moreover, by them is your servants warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so we see, well, God's word warns us, but also um, we see that we find great reward in God's word. And I'd say that our ultimate reward is God himself. And so not necessarily his blessings, but our ultimate reward is God himself. And so we come to God for God and not as a means to obtain something else. But we come to God for God because he is the only one who can truly satisfy anything we ever desire. And so what I hope we see here is that we come to God to know him, to seek him, to love him, and to serve him with, all our, with, with, with everything that we could ever have um, because he's, that, um, he's worth it. He's worth it all. So moving on, so throughout scripture, we see the sovereign Lord um, at the center um, of his word, um, basically just redeeming his people for his kingdom. And so we see the two testaments, old and new. And so the Old Testament and New Testament very much go together. God's word is unified. And so the same God who gave us the Old Testament gave us the New Testament. And so the Old Testament anticipated or foretold what was yet to come. Um, and the New Testament represents the fulfillment of those anticipations. And so the Old Testament would say, this is going to come, or I'm pointing to something, and the New Testament shows the fulfillment of those prophecies or the fulfillment of those um, foretold events. And so what we see here is the Old Testament, in many ways, shows us the different types of Christ. And I said type, um, T-Y-P-E. What I mean by that is um, a type is an example or a symbol God plays in history. That points, to some, um, that points to something yet to come, or that points to a later fulfillment. And so an example to help you out would be, um, think of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. Those are sacrificed to atone for our sins. And so animal sacrifices points to Christ, our perfect sacrifice, whose death atones for our sins and reconciles us to God. And so animal sacrifice would be a type of Christ. Is that clear enough? Good. And so um, seeing this in the same vein, we see, well, that Christ is a greater than Moses in that he is God's perfect prophet to us. Um, Christ is a greater than Aaron, the priest, in that he is our faithful high priest forever. And then we see that even the writer of this psalm, King David, um, I'd say he is highly regarded as the greatest king in the history of Israel, yet Christ is a greater than David in that he brings God's perfect rule to bear on his people. And so in this same, with this same understanding, when we go back to the law, um, we're just going to read quickly from Romans 10.4 and continue here. 
for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so this is Paul writing in Romans 10 and showing us that, yes, um, the law that God gave us, um, this is perfect, but the law points to Christ. And none of us can reach, um, none of us can um, fulfill the moral requirements of the law, but only one person did, and that is Christ himself. And so we see here that um, anyone who puts his faith in Christ is made righteous on the basis of what Christ has done for us, not on your basis to um, attain or reach the moral requirements of the law, because none of us would ever get to that point. Only Christ did. And so even before we move further in today's um, word, I just want to ask you that, are you trusting in God or are you trusting in yourself for salvation? That is your trust in your own works or is your trust in what Christ has done? And this is so important because we see in Scripture that um, when one puts his faith in Christ, he is made right with God. As we've been talking about today, um, general revelation. So general revelation, we have some understanding of who God is. And ultimately, that brings us a sense of guilt that we never measure up to this holy God. We are sinners before the holy God. But then, this God who is just is also the justifier of the sinner who puts his faith in Christ. And so we being sinful people, when we put our faith in Christ, we're justified on the basis of what Christ has done for us. And so if you were with us, I'd say the, um, maybe in the fall semester, we see what we went through the book of Corinthians. First um, Corinthians chapter 15, we see, well, and Christ died for us according to the scriptures. He was buried and um, raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So Christ did all this for us, the perfect man, the perfect God. He did this for us that we can have salvation by faith in him, not by what we've done. And so today, even as you're sitting here and listening to whatever I'm saying, um, I think this is so important that you think about that are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in what Christ has done for you? And so we see Romans 10, verse 9 to 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so right here, you can even believe in your heart and be justified and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and be saved. And so I strongly urge you that you can do this right now. Um, and if you need to speak to someone after service, we have our pastors here, Grant, um, Daniel, um, Rob, or any of the leaders, if you want to speak to someone. Um, and this is so important not to just um, overlook this or think it's another piece in the sermon, but this is very important. It's critical here. Um, all right. And so the scriptures ultimately point to Christ, the word incarnate. And so as we go through scripture, um, my prayer is that we do not see ourselves at the center of scripture, but Christ at the center of scripture, that Christ is highly exalted in all of scripture. And so all of scripture is primarily about God, and yet he draws us in, that we are his people. And so we see him working to redeem us for his kingdom. And so um, God stands at the center and so he's a main, main character. When we read maybe the stories of Abraham or of David or even the apostles, those are not the key guys. God is the key guy <laughs> or the main, the main person in here, and then he draws us in. And so my hope is when we're reading through Scripture, may we see Christ highly exalted in it. And um, I love it how in Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, 
justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so the only reason we can even understand and know God is that, first of all, he has made himself known to us. And I know I keep echoing the same thing, that God has made himself known to us, because it's important. Um, There is no way we can know God apart from him making himself known to us. Like, we can't figure God out. We're not that good. Um, And so unless he does this work in us, um, basically, it's going to be futile. And so I hope that um, as we see this, even saying here that let him who glories or let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, the ultimate boast is in God, that all glory goes to him because he has done this good work in us, that we can have communion with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And so all praise goes to him. And so I hope that um, the big thing that you would even take away from today would be that God has indeed made himself known to us, that we can have um, communion with the creator of the universe. We can have communion with the God who speaks and things come into being. Um, And may our response be one of complete trust in him and obedience to his word. And so um, in closing, I'd like to share with us a resource that's been helpful in my time with the word, and I hope that this will be helpful to you as well. And so it's an acrostic um, developed by David Platt. a pastor some of you may have heard of, um, Secret Church. Um, and so this acrostic is MAPS, M-A-P-S, and we're just going to walk through it quickly, and I hope it's beneficial to you. And so the M in MAPS is meditate and memorize, meditate and memorize. And so we see in Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3, um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And so we see here that many times when we're talking about reading God's word, the word that goes along with it is meditate. And so um, he meditates on God's law day and night. And so you, ask, you may ask, what, what does it mean to meditate? And that's a very good question because it's not just a word we throw around here, but saying to meditate on God's word means to read his word prayerfully, to read his word humbly, and to read his word reflectively. And so to read God's word prayerfully, um, we realize that we need God's help, um, that apart from the spirit of God, we cannot know the mind of God. And so I hope that even as we're reading scripture, we would see that God is working in us an act of self-disclosure, that this is a supernatural activity, not just opening up a book and closing it, but this is a book we open up, God's Word. And when we open, we need Him to open our eyes, like praying that may you open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things in your law. May we see the wonderful things that you have in store in your Word. And so we need the Spirit of God as we walk through His Word. And our dependence is on Him and not our ability to understand the language or our ability to even interpret whatever is going on but we need the Spirit of God. And so saying that we read his word humbly, um, seeing that as we've been talking about today, that God's law is perfect, his word is perfect. And so it is without flaw and is the final authority in our lives. If you are um, a follower of Christ, you hold God's word in high regard. And so we read his word um, humbly by coming into submission to his will, not like opening up a book thinking it contains a list of suggestions and I'm going to pick and choose which one sounds good to me. But God's word is perfect, and so we come to him submitting to his leadership. And um, the next one here is saying reflectively, 
Um, and so when we read his word, just take your time and stay on the word. Um, not just read into it quickly, and then you check off a box, I'm done, yay. Um, <laughs> and, and, and for the day, you're done. But no, that's another point. Like, we get no points or no um, awards for reading through it quickly. The goal here is you want to know the God who has made himself known to you. You want to have communion with him. And so as you read through it, just taking time to stay on the word and asking questions. And I think a good question we ask in our life group would be the classic question, what sticks out to you? <laughs> or what stands out to you in this passage. And I think it's good because if you're going through a passage for the first time, or maybe this would be one of many times you've gone through, just taking the time to see how the scripture is unfolding, like what's going on here. And so maybe your answer to the question, what sticks out to you, would be the tone of the author. Or it would be just seeing main characters in the passage, or seeing, well, who wrote this? Or maybe you, you see a, a specific word repeated several times and maybe that would draw you into it. And so that's a good place to begin. But also some other questions that would be helpful as you reflect through scripture would be, maybe accent, um, who wrote this? To whom was it written? Um, the main characters in the story and maybe where and when um, was this written? And so I'd say the second part of the spring semester, yeah, we went through the book of Titus. And so with the book of Titus, say if you're reading Titus in your personal devotion, you can see, well, maybe your answers to these questions, who wrote this, to whom was it written, um, where and when, and the key, um, the key plot lines in the story. You would see, well, so Paul wrote the book of Titus to Titus, who was in Crete. And so maybe some of the key things to play, um, some of the key things in the book would be, well, um, Paul talks about good leadership in the church and to seeing why that's important. Paul um, addresses the issue of false teachers in the church, seeing that the gospel should be held in high regard and not to be diluted or not to add something or take something out from it. So he addresses the issue of false teachers. And also he talks about sound doctrine and godly living. He says faith and practice go together. And so how we live should be influenced by the gospel. And so we see this playing out. And so maybe when you're reading a book, just um, read it in context, reading the passage in context and seeing how the key details all come together in the whole counsel of God's word. Um, and so that is to meditate. I'd say one more thing with meditating is um, besides asking these questions, some of the key questions to also include would be saying, um, who, what does this teach me about who God is? Or what does this teach me about who I am in light of who God is? What does this teach me about Christ, what he's done for us, and how we're to follow him? And so that would be meditate. But also the second word here is memorize. And so making time to memorize scripture, um, seeing that we want to hide God's word in our heart. And so having some practice where you, you memorize scripture, um, may, maybe memorize key verses or um, key passages or even some books um, if, 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 you, um, if you're able to. And so an example is like today we went through Psalm 19. And so if you're going to memorize Psalm 19, say verse 7, you can have the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so that would be one verse, something to um, include. It's going to be beneficial going forward. And so that is M, meditate and memorize. Moving on, A would be apply. And so apply, think of how the passage applies to our own lives. Think of how it applies. Um, this passage transforms my thoughts, how this passage transforms my desires, um, how this passage even transforms my actions. And so God's word um, calls us to um, submit to his authority. And so many times we may come with our own biases or we may come with our own preferences, but 
in applying God's word, we submit to what he's saying to us. And so that's A, apply. Um, P would be pray. And so with pray, let the word of God drive how we pray. And so I like it how even recently, which is on Thursday, we're, we're talking in live group about prayer. And so going through Genesis and seeing how um, instrumental scripture is to prayer. So like how scripture drives us to prayer and to seeing who God is in his word as he's revealed himself to us, may that drive us to pray. And so we pray according to his word. We repent according to his word. We um, act according to his word. And we yield to his word. And so that would be pray, prayer. And so prayer is not something that would be a tag on, like that would be an add on. Um, but it's very important to commune with God because this is the God we want to know and we submit to him. And the uh, last letter in this is S, share. And to share would be looking at Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we see here that the gospel is not meant to stop with us, but it's meant to spread through us. And so in making disciples, we teach what Christ has taught us. And so what God is teaching you even in your, um, your personal time with him in church or even in life group, um, we share this message with others. And so just making it a point to um, put this into your daily life. And, and, and I'm not saying that you always have to organize a Bible study every day. Um, but the point here is um, finding, um, just being intentional about um, weaving gospel threads into your conversations, that you weave the gospel into your conversations. Maybe sitting over lunch or coffee with a friend and saying, well, this is something God has been teaching me. Or maybe how has God been working in your life recently? Or this is something I learned today as I was reading scripture. And so just having these threads would be good. And I think a big part of it is being intentional. And so um, I hope that with what I've shared today, mostly I'd say it's something I'm still learning and growing by God's grace. And so um, at no point have any of us arrived and no one is even ever far off. And so I hope that what we see is at either end of the spectrum you may be at, um, there's all room, we, we all have room for growth. And so by God's grace, may we just take inventory and see, well, um, where is an area where I can grow more? If it's in prayer, if it's spending more time in the word, um, there is a step that we can take. And so um, I'd like to end on this note that while God can never be completely known, or understood. Um, we can know him personally, we can know him truly, and we can know him sufficiently. And so may our response be one of trust in him. May our response be one of um, a deep desire to long for him and a deep desire to obey him. And finally, may the gospel not end with us, but may it spread through us. All right, so I'm going to pray and the band can come on. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Um, God, we thank you for your grace and what you've done for us, oh God. We thank you for your general revelation and um, seeing who you are in creation. But more importantly, oh God, we thank you for your special revelation that we can know you in a deep and personal way um, through your word, oh God. I thank you for the joy in knowing you as the psalmist described in his word. And I pray that may we be a people, oh God, who have a deep desire, who have a deep hunger to know you. Because, oh God, you have made yourself known to us again. And I pray that may we be a people, oh God, who long to know you daily, who long to serve you and to love you with our all. 
And so I pray that as we've heard your word, we ask for the grace to be doers also. In Jesus' name, amen.